0: This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com/writingexcuses. Season 15, episode 35.
1: This is Writing Excuses, tools for writing and world building with Aaron Roberts.
0: 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Dan. I'm Mary Robinette. I'm Lottie. I'm Aaron.
1: Awesome, Aaron! Thank you for joining us again for this episode. Uh, do you want to remind everyone super quickly who you are?
2: Sure. I'm a short story writer, and that's about all you need to know.
1: Well, excellent. We are excited to have you back. Uh, we have several questions that came in about uh, writing tools. Some of them focused on world building and some of them just on writing in general. Uh, So I want to read the first one. It says, can you talk about the tools of the trade like Scrivener and Word? How do you organize your work? What features are invaluable and why? And I know this process is different for everyone. I've never gotten the same answer from two different authors when we talk about the tools we use. So... What tools do you rely on and consider invaluable in the uh, the software or whatever that you use to do your work?
0: So for me, it's all about the pieces of the story that I can't hold in my head. Um, and it changes. So I use Scrivener, yes. Um, I also use Aeon Timeline. But in the last two things that I've been working on, I found myself Going away from the computer and back to uh, analog. Uh, So for uh, *Relentless Moon*, I actually printed out a calendar from 1963 and just used that to figure out my timeline Um, and divided it roughly into morning, noon, and morning, afternoon, night, Uh, and uh, and that was. You know, there were occasions where I'd get a little more detailed in there, but. Uh, that was what I used for Timeline uh, for the Spareman, which I'm working on right now. I actually had everything in Scrivener. And then at a certain point, um, just bought packs of note cards and put it all on note cards and used a marker to mark uh, which uh, pl- kind of plot thread I was using. And also um, had a different, uh, so I had things, some things that were labeled as um as a plot point and some people some things that were labeled as um story threads and some that were just labeled as information to track uh so it's like oh you've got moving sidewalks here make sure that you have moving sidewalks all the way through the novel um but that was it was very very old school
2: for me i I've actually used PowerPoint before, which uh, I've actually made a PowerPoint document for my story. And the reason is that I'm a little more of a pantser. So I often am doing world building as I go. And so I will throw a detail in, like a moving sidewalk in a sentence, and then I'll go back and be like, oh yes, I did say that. I should probably carry that through. So I would add to like technology in my world slide, moving sidewalks, or I'd have one for characters. And I like it because I'm not inherently a visual person. And so having a PowerPoint reminds me to bring my visual self or to bring visuals to the story. So I often think the best tools are the ones that kind of work with who you are and shore you up where you might need more uh,
1: support. So using, talking about using visuals with the PowerPoint, are you like including reference art and uh, like character images and stuff?
2: I do, and it's because uh, I have aphantasia, which means I cannot visualize things in my head. And so, every time I have a visual in a story, I'm looking at a picture of some sort in order to draw on that as a writer. And so, I am the queen of visual imagery.
1: That's awesome. Um, I have. Uh, I I am similarly old school. Uh, to what Mary Robinette talked about, Uh, and I know that I've said on the podcast before that I have tried Scrivener and just despise it, Uh, which does not make it a bad program by any means, because many people swear by it. Um, I prefer just the, I turn off every feature (laughs) that my word processor has. So it's essentially just a typewriter that I can delete things on. And then I will keep different files. And it sounds like that's common to a lot of us, that we will have one place, whether it's a file or a PowerPoint slide or whatever, where we can say, hey, remember this thing, or here's where I'm going to talk about all of you know my character traits and things like that. Um, I build a, a world Bible. I, I do use uh, Excel in early stages of my outlining process, just because it helps me keep all of the events in order. But then by the time I'm done, I've put it back into a Word document and kind of described it in paragraphs. I would love someone who does use Scrivener to very quickly tell people what makes Scrivener valuable, just to counter my own hatred of it.
0: Uh, I I use it. Am Am I the only one in here who uses it? Okay, so I'll, I'll talk about Scrivener. Um, the thing that I like about Scrivener is that it, it makes it very easy for me to, um, to, to kind of see the shape of the, the thing that I'm working on. So you can chunk stuff in there in, um, at, as kind of granular as you want to get. You can go like chapter and then scene, which is the way I usually have it breakin- broken down. But what it means is that, like, if I realize that a scene is in the wrong place, I can just grab it and move the entire thing very easily. So it's for me, um, that's handy. Uh, Being able to, like, what Dan does where he has multiple iterations of, uh, you know, saving multiple copies of a novel, that's how I used to work. And the thing that I like is that I can just clone a scene. If I'm like, oh, I think I want to try this a very, very different way, I can just clone it, save the original one someplace else, you know throw it into my scraps folder, and then redo the the one you know redo it on the the clone uh, so that i I have I have both versions and I can look at both of them um it has it has a lot of really good version control. so you can take a snapshot every time you make a revision, uh, so when I want to go back and look for something. I'm like, oh, I accidentally deleted this thing that I loved. Uh, no, no, I didn't. It's actually just a couple of layers deep and then I can go find it and it's still there. Uh, so that's what I like about it.
3: So I, I was going to add about the being able to save a scene. It's a little bit of a tangent, but you're saying that it's really great to to be able to save the scene. And I know that a lot of people like working in that way But I I also do know a writer who prefers to just delete it all together and start from scratch. And she thinks that she can get a lot more when she just has to to go over and just do it all over again. So I think it's just interesting in terms of different ways of um, using your craft.
1: Yeah, and thanks for bringing that up because I have noticed... Most of the time if I'm if I write something and then I think, wait, this is in the wrong place, I will copy it, I will move it, and then I'll think, well, I need to transition into the scene, and so I'll start writing a transition and end up writing the entire scene, whole cloth, as a new version of itself, and eventually realize, oh, this thing I copied and pasted is now useless. Um but anyway. Sometimes
0: that polite fiction to our own brain is handy
1: though. <laughs> Yes. All right. We would like to pause here.
2: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time.
3: And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price.
1: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. For the book of the week, uh, which uh, is Midnight Bargain.
0: Yeah, so Midnight Bargain by C.L. Polk. Um, I just read it in ARC. By the time uh, we... Uh, by the time this airs, it will be out. Um, and the reason I wanted to pick this, I'm going to read to you the first three or so lines because it is like, it is really a masterclass in setting up world building. And uh, in, in just it's the clarity of it is so good. Um, the carriage drew closer to bookseller's row and Beatrice Claiborne drew in a hopeful breath before she cast her spell. I'm like, boom, I know, I know where we are. I know that, that this is like, I know something about the technology. I know that books are going to be important. And I know that the, this is a magic user. And then we've got this. Head high, spine straight, she hid her hands in her pockets and curled her fingers into mystic signs as the fiacre jostled over green cobblestones. So I know that magic is something that she has to hide while she's doing it, which is also amazing. Um, and also, I know a little bit more. She's given me this other breadcrumb. It's not just a carriage. It's like, what kind of carriage? And green cobblestones. That's so beautiful. She had been in Bindleton three days, and while its elegant buildings and clean streets were the prettiest trap anyone could set into, Beatrice would have given anything to be somewhere else, anywhere but here at the beginning of bargaining season. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't at this point know what bargaining season is, but I know that there is this, this stake, this thing that she's not from here, that this is a thing that happens once a year. And it's like, it's so dense with stuff, but it's also just effortless in giving me the feeling of the character and the character's perspective on things it's it is a lovely opening and the novel holds up um it is like when I came I I thought this when I read that first paragraph I'm like whoa this is a strong opening and then when I got through the book and realized how important books were all through uh, the, the that, that opening line about Drew Closer to Booksellers Row, it's like, oh, oh, she sets up everything in the opening and then pays it off. It's, uh, it's great. It's a really good book.
1: Awesome. And that is Midnight Bargain by C.L. Polk. Yes. Wonderful. Thank you very much. All right. So for the second half of the show here, uh, we talked about general tools let's get into world-building tools specifically. And so here we have another listener question. How do we remember and manage all the information that goes with a fantasy novel? If you write 500 pages of story names, background, and rules, how do you stay consistent and remember all of it while writing the actual prose? Uh,
0: I, I I use the search function. I my My basic philosophy is that if it's not in the novel, then it's not canon. So... Uh, so I'll, I will, if it's something that I'm consistently misspelling, I will probably make a note to myself, like, what are the types of dragons? I'm like, uh, I made up that word. That's going to be hard for me to search for. So I'll jot that down someplace. Um, but otherwise I am pretty darn lackadaisical about storing my world building stuff. Um,
3: as an editor, I used Excel. (laughs) I think it's the version. I think it's Aaron's PowerPoint is my Excel. So I just had a lot of columns just explain, you know, those are the characters. Those are the I when I edited fantasy, I had to do that a lot just to make sure we were keeping it so, consistent.
1: So, so to be clear about the use, uh, you have like each column in the spreadsheet is for a specific character. And then other columns for, what, different world-building elements?
3: Yeah, it depends on the novel, but I, I would often also need tabs. <laughs> um, usually it would be like a column, like characters, and then a column for the kind of gear that they have on, for instance, where they come from, um, so we can keep it all straight throughout a series, for instance.
1: Okay. Awesome. Yeah, also- I Go ahead, Dave. Aaron,
2: go ahead. I was going to say, I think it's also good to know what of your world building is just fun for you and what you're actually wanting to put in the story. Because sometimes of those 500 words or 500 pages or even more, not all 500 may be things that actually end up being relevant to the story or that anyone needs to know except you. It's just like fun. It's like you're writing your own kind of back tome. But it's always good to go through, I think, and identify what of this actually impacts the character's world and journey, and then make sure that those you can really find. And the other stuff, if you lose track of it, it's not going to be as important to the story you're trying to tell.
1: Yeah, and I think that that's, to some extent, a self-correcting system. If you've written in a world detail that you think is really cool, but that you're constantly forgetting because it doesn't impact anything... Then maybe it doesn't need to be there, or you need to find a way for it to impact something.
0: Yeah, I, I'm also I. I will say that I also use uh, Excel, but it is to track things that um, it is actually specifically to track things that I don't have in the novel, but that I want to remember in case I need it later. Um, and most of this uh in in previous episodes you've seen me do um heard me talk about the axes of power um so uh so i i will i track that because for the most part like when i'm writing the the lady astronaut books um the fact of someone's sexuality generally does not come up but i want to know because it will sometimes affect small things in a scene and I want to make sure that i'm I'm doing that. or if I have um, you know if I have a Portuguese and a Spanish character, then I want to make sure that I'm actually remembering which one is Portuguese and which one is Spanish. And because I am that is not my background for either of those. It means that when I'm going to get someone to look at those scenes, um, that I, I'm handing the right scene to the right person.
1: Um, One thing that I noticed when I have been writing the Zero-G series, which is my middle-grade science fiction, uh, is that the details that I kept forgetting about the alien planet where they live in books two and three uh, were the kind of mundane ones. And so as I would be describing something, uh, I realized about halfway through book three that uh, I was describing things as impossibly alien. So for example, the planet has huge crystals all over it. And I had lost track in my head of the fact that there was still like normal rocks and dirt, (laughs) that it wasn't just a giant crystal planet. And that's because I was managing only the details that I thought were interesting. And that meant that I was forgetting about the mundane ones. And so I had to go back and you know, mention, oh, yeah, there is actual topsoil. There are actual plants growing in it. Um, and so I had to change kind of my world Bible, and I actually had to note in there, don't forget there's actual rocks and dirt on this planet. Like the mundane parts of the world are the ones that I was forgetting because I it hadn't occurred to me that I needed to manage those as well as the other ones.
2: And actually, uh, Dan, along those lines, one of the things I love to do when I'm planning stories is to read first-person narratives, like people just talking, uh, especially if it's in a similar cadence to the kind of language that I'm trying to use in a story. And what I love about first-person narratives, and I'm talking like real-world nonfiction narratives, is you get to see what people actually mention and the details that people actually think about when they describe the world around them literally, And so, so often, you know, you're like, oh, there's this huge tower or there's this great thing. And the person's like, I'm going to tell you about my kitchen sink because like I spend a lot of time in my kitchen sink washing things. That's what I'm doing. And so it's a good reminder to me to make sure that those smaller details, the topsoil of the world, so to speak, is as clear and as interesting as the things that I'm excited about because they're new and different.
1: You know, we're essentially out of time, but it occurs to me that there is a tool that all of us as professionals use that we don't usually talk about because it is such a uniquely professional thing. We have other people helping us. Oh, yeah. You know, Brandon, on his uh, one of his live streams a couple weeks ago, he had Karen Alström on, who is his lore person and keeps an entire, like, massive thousand-page wiki just to keep track of his lore for him. Uh, I, as a published author, I have copy editors, and when they send their copy edit document, it has a full list of every person, every location, everything that I have mentioned in the story that she has then collated and put into this very digestible form. And so relying on other people is more difficult if you are not yet professional and in a paid situation – but it's something that we all kind of rely on, and maybe is is something that other people could try to find a way to use,
0: yeah, although I do want to caution people that um that it is that um, you know you can rely- asking you know accepting the help of other people mm-hmm. um, is is really important but uh and and Lord knows you know. Be grateful for the saves that the copy editor hands you, but also there will be mistakes that slips past everyone. So you you do actually ultimately at the end of the day, it is always your responsibility to to have found things. Um like I I think I've told the story about the giant continuity error in the calculating stars.
1: I, I think you have.
0: Yeah yeah the the fact that I kept talking about the seven lady astronauts, and there is in fact only six uh and n- literally no one caught it a- a- at all um
1: this is one of my favorite stories
0: <laughs> like I just i I was working on book three and was like what i can't why can't I remember the name of the seventh lady astronaut and I went back to a scene that I knew that the, all seven of them were in uh and there are six people in that room. <laughs>
1: I can't remember the context of the conversation I had with Mary Robinette. It was a phone call or a text conversation or something, and it was it was endlessly amusing to me.
0: There were a lot of caps. <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway, we need to be done with this episode as much as I would love to keep talking about it. Erin, you have our homework.
2: Yes, using whichever tool you would like, take a look at some of your favorite world-building elements. I know there's tons, but pick let's say five, and then take a look at what your influences are. Are there any elements that are coming from a world that is our world? Are there any things that you're borrowing? Are there cobblestones, for example, like in the, in the example Mary Robinette ran? That is something that exists in our world. And make sure that those, all of those influences and those elements are purposeful. Are they intentional? Why are you doing them? And what do they bring with them to your story?
1: Wonderful. Thank you very much for listening. This is Writing Excuses. You are out of excuses. Now go write.
0: Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson.